This episode is brought to you by Dietz and Watson. Uh, Molly, it's time we have the talk about hot dogs. Oh, oh, okay. Well, hey, (laughs) I'm looking for a hot dog that's the real deal, Matthew. Like a classic hot dog that like when you think of like the platonic ideal of a hot dog, Mm -hmm. I recommend Dietz and Watson's Dietz Dogs. Ah, well, I've heard that they're handcrafted and made using only Dietz and Watson premium meat. I can vouch for this because Dietz and Watson sent us a big box of hot dogs and other delights. And wife of the show, Lori, and I had them for dinner last night. We had uh, the classic beef Dietz dogs with uh, toasted buns with sauerkraut and pickled jalapenos and Dietz and Watson ballpark style yellow mustard. Do you think you'd recommend Dietz and Watson hot dogs for fried rice? Oh, yeah. Fried rice with some sliced hot dogs. I'm going to be doing that soon. Wife of the show, Lori, is going to be making the hot dog flour buns from Christina Cho's cookbook, Mooncakes and Milk Bread. Very excited for this. Mm, And I'm especially pleased because Dietz and Watson does things the right way. So this means like no additives, no fillers, no artificial flavors, no cutting corners. You can feel good about this stuff. Dietz and Watson. It's a family thing since 1939. Shop now at Dietz slash the right way. That's Dietz, D-I-E-T-Z, and Watson.com slash the right way. I'm Matthew. And I'm Molly. And this is Spilled Milk, the show where we cook something delicious, eat it all, and you can't have any. Today, we are finally doing it. Yes. Everybody's been waiting for us (laughs) to do it. Will they or won't they (laughs) talk about spaghetti? (laughs) That's right. Today's our spaghetti episode. And, like, we we have this running running bit where, like, we have never done a spaghetti episode and we pretend that people are demanding that we do and And no one's actually demanded it. Nobody's ever demanded it. Nobody's ever noticed it. Not even us until a few months ago. Right. Right. But I'm excited to talk about spaghetti. Me too. And I, 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 so uh, it's interesting because when you start doing, so I did the research for this episode. Yeah. And when you start doing research into spaghetti, right away you get into like the like history of pasta territory. Sure. And I'm still, I got to say, I'm still a little unclear on like when spaghetti actually started. But we're going to get into all of this. Okay, great. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot of learning. Well, it all started when Stregonona said the magic words to her pasta pot, That's right? right. But she also knew the words to turn it off. Which I, unfortunately, really did not. Yeah. <laughs> and, like, I'll, someday you I'll be big ready. You Anthony. <laughs> yeah, big I'll be Anthony. ready to tell this story someday, but not yet. <laughs> okay. So, uh, yeah, memory lane. You know what? There's like a lot of spaghetti on my memory sure, lane. Sure, of course. But it was really hard for me to think of something specific. And honestly, I think that the the first specific memory I have of, of spaghetti is of cooking cacio e pepe for myself in my first apartment. Oh, yeah. When I was in grad school. I mean, I ate spaghetti countless times before that. But this is the first time I really remember like buying spaghetti, maybe starting to learn a little bit about like, uh, you know, the difference between spaghetti that's been made in dyes that, you know, leave some texture on the outside, as opposed to like really slick spaghetti, yeah, slick, slick, slick spaghetti. spaghetti that's like, you know, supposedly lower quality or doesn't hold the sauce as well. If I were a like a Formula One race or NASCAR like race car guy, you'd be slick. Spaghetti. My my nickname would be Slick Spaghetti. You would just slip and slide around that that like, Formula One. Would you want to be Formula One or NASCAR? Uh, I think Formula One. Well, yeah, because you'd be faster. Because I'd be fast. It's it's slicker. Like we (laughs) recently uh, had like, you know, a favorite kind of conversation to have at work is like, you know, famous people with funny names. I was reminded once again and got to share once again that there was an actual like very successful race car driver who went by the name Dick Trickle. (laughs) (laughs) Because first someone mentioned that there was a congressman named Dick Sweat. And then I was like, no, there oh. was there was like someone who was even worse than that. <laughs> um, Ash ordered something online yesterday and like just for fun, decided to change our shipping, like our name on the shipping address label yeah. to Puffins McGee. That's very good. I I logged into Vanguard uh, to like do like a first of the year financial thing today. And uh, I many years ago, I like Vanguard said, what would you like to be called when you log in? So now every time I log into the serious financial website, it's says, welcome, Grease Monkey Amster Burton. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, perfect. Well, I can't wait to get the package addressed to Puffins McGee. Yeah, that is awesome. (laughs) Um, This reminds me, like, uh, when when my 
brothers were in a high school or middle school, one of their friends as a prank, like signed them up for a bunch of junk mail with funny, like under funny names. Like Dick Trickle? Like uh, the the one that I remember, the best one was <laughs> Nose Ben Amster. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the best part of that is his name is Ben. Right? Name is ben. So, so it's it was like, so dumb. It was like they they like got to the the end of like you know okay I've come up with a bunch of like made up funny names uh, I don't know just knows Ben and that was the best one. Um, we once <laughs> I remember one other. <laughs> there was okay. one, my other brother is named Jake, and there was one uh, with Yunke uh, <laughs> Amster. We pronounced it J U N Q U E. <laughs> Yunke. Or just junk, but Yunke is fun. Yunke. Okay. Matthew, mm-hmm. what's your spaghetti memory lane? Okay, so my I have like one really clear spaghetti memory lane that I know I've mentioned on the show before, which was that when I was in grade school, uh, I had a friend named Ben, not nose Ben, different Ben. <laughs> <laughs> and any every time I went to his house, uh, there were two food and drink things that I really looked forward to that were always on offer, which was where there was uh, Tropical Punch Kool-Aid in the fridge, which oh. we never had at home. Awesome. And his mom would always make spaghetti and meat sauce that was definitely made with spaghetti cooked surprisingly al dente for- Would like, you say it was too al dente? In retrospect, I think maybe a little bit, but I really liked it. Oh, um, okay. And probably a jar of ragu and some ground beef. And uh-huh. like, I thought this was so good. I have not had that exact formulation since- middle school probably I don't think but I certainly remember it oh wow um Ben's household sounds a little bit like the household of my friend Jennifer Pascal, mm-hmm. whose mother Linda right was a real ha- fun gal was a real fun gal Linda made really good shepherd's pie oh yeah and their household always had cereals like cinnamon toast crunch mm-hmm. which we never had at home thank goodness for childhood friends who can yeah, like introduce yeah, the, us to the, the important stuff. things yeah um, okay, one more. This is this is going to be a recipe that I'm going to me- mention later. But at some point, we started making the Cook's Illustrated uh, Salerno spaghetti recipe, and that's become like our house spaghetti. It is spaghetti with garlic, a lot of olive oil, and then topped with uh, and parmigiano, and then topped with a whole bunch of toasted breadcrumbs. Ooh, so good, and a fried egg. Okay. So okay. good. Wow. Yeah. So, so like it all, and then and then you like add more breadcrumbs at the table in mass quantities. Oh, I would love to try this. Okay. Well, so uh, let's talk about what this stuff is because I think that you know all of us can like rattle off like you know pappardelle is thicker than spaghetti or penne is the like tube one with cut on the bias or well let me ask you this like do you think of spaghetti as being the default pasta like if someone sent you to the store in some sort of uh, made up scenario and said like get me a box of pasta. And refuse to spe- specify which one. I would come back with spaghetti. I think I'd come back with spaghetti too. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's. Uh, and also, I get a new friend because that sounds like a mean thing. That to friend do. is stupid. <laughs> no. Uh, anyway, yeah, I do think that spaghetti is the default pasta. It's also, I think, spaghetti is a stand-in, like a catch-all word. Yeah. For. Pasta. Like, I think a lot of people will refer to pasta dishes that do not use spaghetti, calling it like, oh, we're having spaghetti. In the in the same way that that like macaroni used to be the word for pasta, at least in North America. That's right. Right. Okay. Uh, So spaghetti, for those who haven't really thought about exactly what it is, here are the things that distinguish it from anything else. It is uh, it's solid, unlike bucatini, for instance, which Mm -hmm. is hollow. So it's solid and it's cylindrical in cross section. So so like a like a pasta a la chitarra is not not necessarily a spaghetti. What is pasta a la chitarra? It's when it's when you like roll a pasta sheet over over a guitar. Uh, over like one of those, uh, like a box with a bunch of wires on top, so it cuts it into into like spaghetti ish sized noodles, but they're but they're not round. Well, yeah, so that's going to be like a fettuccine or a linguine. Or... Well, but I mean they're square in cross section. Oh, they're square, right? So here's where things get a little bit confusing for me, because the thing is, is when you start looking up. Spaghetti. Like, let's say you go to the Wikipedia page for spaghetti. Right away, it gets into the history of pasta. Yeah. It talks about spaghetti as though spaghetti is one of the earliest forms of like pasta that had like, a, you know, a, a name, a specific 
okay word associated with it but the thing is is that the 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 spaghetti that we think of is extruded through dyes right so it's it's industrial it's industrial and there are ways we'll talk about this in a minute i mean you can make spaghetti at home but you either are going to make it by like rolling out pasta dough with mm-hmm. a rolling pin and then cutting it with a knife uh-huh. uh, which is going to yield a solid noodle but it's going to be like a square noodle yep. or a rectangular noodle. And I won't have that. Oh, me neither. Uh, or you can do something that almost seems to me like, uh, you know, surely in practice that it doesn't look like, you know, hand pulled noodles like Sichuan, you know, hand pulled oh, yeah, noodles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But you can make spaghetti apparently that way. You can also by... like peachy, right? Where you like take a little ball of dough and like roll it out into a snake. That's right. Which is definitely so, thicker so than spaghetti. So that's what you would start out doing if you were doing this kind of pulling okay. technique. You would roll a ball of pasta dough into like a sausage and then you would kind of pull it. All right. And you would repeat and repeat and repeat. Yeah, I'm going to just buy the Ronzoni. So what's confusing to me is if you start looking into it, uh, you are led to believe that spaghetti is kind of the original pasta. But I don't understand what how spaghetti could have been cylindrical prior to mass production. Uh, Yeah, I don't think it really could. I mean, you know, unless someone was doing like like I think peachy is probably older than than mass produced spaghetti and so but but it's thicker. Well, okay, so we're going to talk about this. Okay, yeah. So, okay. You know what? Let's go straight into into the history because I think yeah, th- I okay. think this is this will be important. So, the first record of pasta comes from the Talmud, which is a, a Jewish uh, text. Text, yes. Comes from the Talmud in the 5th century AD, so the 400s. And it refers to a dried pasta that was boiled by cooking. Okay. And this checks out because here's the thing. <laughs> you check this out and it's I checked it's this legit. out. I time traveled. <laughs> okay. And uh, no, but here's the thing. So there's this common myth that Pasta was brought to Italy by a Venetian explorer named Marco Polo, uh-huh. who Who's traveled all over the place. Best, best known for for like his pool game, his game in, in the, the pool. pool. Yeah. <laughs> well, so Marco Polo apparently went to Asia, went to China, and had noodles there, which they did exist there. Sure, then. but. This was the 1200s. So like not all that long ago as like the history of. Yeah. I mean, we don't remember it, but your dad would have. That's right. My dad. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, here's the thing. Marco Polo did not. He did not. He did not pasta introduce to pasta right. to Italy. He did not do that. I don't know where that comes from. Well, I mean, it, it makes it for Marco Polo is a fun name to say. Sure. Like so fun. They they turned it into a whole game where you yell it a bunch of times. It also makes it so it makes that a good it's story. Like, yeah, it makes it so that like the Italians discovered pasta right. in the far east and brought it to right. Italy. Like but, we we already we debunked Dom Perignon on a on a previous episode. So I, I feel like that's also a fun name to say. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that the you need. You need like a, an origin story that's like too good to be true. And you need you need a person with a fun name. That's right. So the truth is, so Marco Polo, who was around in the 1200s, you know, he did go to China. Pasta existed in China then. But the thing is, is there was already pasta in Italy mm-hmm. before he was even born. So the thing is, is pasta was almost certainly introduced to the place that we now call Italy in the 8th and 9th centuries by traders from North Africa. Okay. Traders and merchants from North Africa and, you know, the Middle East. So Arab traders, basically. Here's what's interesting to me. So presumably the Talmud probably would have been, uh, you know, uh, written in that part of the world, right? Mm -hmm. So apparently as early as the 5th century... Merchants and traders from North Africa were making and carrying with them a type of dried noodle when they, you know, traveled across the vast distances because you can imagine it was lightweight, super portable, and they would just boil it and they would eat it plain. I mean, it's it's like how I sometimes carry like a package of of, uh, Shin Gourmet Spicy ramen. Yeah, right? yeah, exactly. Yeah. That portable, that easy. So this pasta that these um, traders from North Africa would carry was called Etria. I don't know for sure what it looked like, but presumably it was some sort of hand rolled noodle type mm-hmm. thing because it was certainly not extruded as far as I understand. Yeah, I mean, like, 
we, I, I don't know. We've done noodle episodes before. Like, I imagine, like, the reason noodles exist is partly because, like, it dry, they dry quickly, but mm-hmm. also, but, but people like eating fresh noodles also. I, I, in in my mind, like the original original pasta was sort of like a, like a dumpling that you like smush between your fingers, like a like a gnocchi sort of. And then someone would like pulled it pulled it or rolled it out long and was like, oh, this is a great texture. Let's do more of this. Well, and for sure, that is one of the oldest forms of quote unquote pasta. Yeah, is a, a dumpling type thing. So anyway, the idea of these noodles that are made from durum wheat, semolina, and water date easily back to the 400s, but they came from North Africa. Um, I don't know the origins of noodles in China, um, but I, I, I don't think we need to answer that on the spaghetti episode. I don't episode. think we do either. And the truth is, is somehow I doubt that they're made from durum no. like semolina. So it's a whole different thing. No, like that's that's a really hard wheat that that's going to be grown in northern Europe, you know, northern eastern Europe. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I guess Italy is southern Europe. So pasta, you know, came into Italy uh, by way of Sicily. And what what Italy's contributions have been, you know, broadly to pasta is that they started adding sauce to it mm-hmm. or eating it, you know, in a form other than just boiled and eaten plain. OK, so they added sauce and they also are the ones who invented uh, like the pasta machine and the, the means for mass production. Now, I don't I don't imagine noodles were just boiled and eaten plain in, in China like prior to. Pasta I doubt Italy. it. Right. I doubt it. But I, I think that from what I understand, you know, the the North Africans who were carrying pasta around on their voyages, they were eating it plain. OK, so let's talk about what the word means, please, because Do I think don't we know. have someone on staff, oh, perhaps. That's true. On, maybe on this. retainer. Yes. Yeah. We. Yes. By the way, we need to talk about like the the expense of Mr. Etymology's retainer I because know. it's getting out of control. I know it really is. Okay, so uh, Mr. Etymology is here to let you know that spaghetti is the plural form of the Italian word spaghetto, which is a diminutive of spago, meaning thin string or twine or restaurant in Beverly Hills. Good one. (laughs) Molly Molly wrote this. Mr. Etymology is just reading it. (laughs) And so I noticed this also because I also looked at the Wikipedia page for spaghetti. And there is a section, a whole section of the page entitled Spaghetti. I literally like, got such a case of the giggles researching me too. this. So, I was like, this is the dumbest thing I've so, ever so heard. So Spargetti, S-P-A-R-G-H-E-T-T-I. So the the claim is that the word was originally Spargetti until like the late 19th century and then like morphed into spaghetti. But it seems to us like someone's just like punking us by like, like, like screwing around on Wikipedia. Like I spent a long time Googling Spargetti uh-huh. and, and Google was like, surely you want spaghetti yeah did you um, did you like follow any of the references I, I did I I you know I clicked at the top of Google and said no no I want spaghetti <laughs> and I found a few things but it, it almost seemed like people just mistyping <laughs> yeah so it says also from Wikipedia quote the Great Eastern Railway magazine of 1914 recommends spaghetti as an alternative <laughs> to macaroni in its recipe for ma- macaroni cheese I almost said macaroni cheese <laughs> I don't think this makes sense because it doesn't just, sound like Italian it phonology. Sound, it, it, this sounds like when American dialects that say washing machine instead yes. of washing machine. Yeah. So, I mean, it's it's possible that like someone like we're not the first people to ever say spaghetti, but it, it just doesn't sound like Italian. Dumb. You know <laughs> what? I would like somebody who uh, do we is there a real Mr. Etymology in the room? Uh, like I mean, is who isn't just you? I don't know. Like friend of the show, Ken Albala always says we should call him while while recording. And I'm, I'm like too shy to actually to actually do that. But Sorry, Ken. He'll, he'll probably hear this and then email us and, and tell us like whether spaghetti is a real thing. <laughs> Uh, so you've probably seen when you go to the store to buy spaghetti, you've probably, you've probably seen spaghetti. <laughs> no, you've probably almost bought spaghettini. Uh, yeah, no you, one would buy actually, that shit, right? No, but have you actually have you actually done it? Like, have you ever gone to the store to get spaghetti and come home with spaghettini instead? I don't think so because I think that's always pretty much always labeled thin spaghetti these days. Probably because there were so many incidents. It's probably. <laughs> 
So apparently there's, you know, not only is there spaghettini, which is the thinner form of spaghetti, but there's spaghettoni. Again, sure. I felt like rigatoni. I mean, I felt like Wikipedia was <laughs> Wikitoni. Um, Wikipedia is like Wikipedia, only bigger. <laughs> spaghettoni. Wikipedia is... <laughs> Like a shortage of wikis. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're, you're very low oh, on the wikis wow. today. Wow, like you medical to, terminology yeah, you humor. You need to get more iron. Um, or, or, excuse me, no. You need to more, read more, more random Wikipedia articles. Oh, man. I found the greatest random Wikipedia article the other day. What was it? It was, it was like a list of fictional somethings. It's going to come to me. So so wait no spaghettoni is real. It is. <laughs> like I'm I'm like I'm if if not I'm starting the rumor here that 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 spaghettoni is real and also Bigfoot. Okay okay so there's spaghettoni <laughs> Bigfoot big or or uh, footoni. So would you say then that spaghetti is the like the the Goldilocks of of spaghetti like she's the she needs it to be like right in the middle like not too big not too small. Yeah I'm not sure if the analogy works because like like Goldilocks well no I guess Goldilocks oh, herself bears. herself was medium sized because she fit it. No, she fit into baby bears. No, mama bears. Which which bed did Goldilocks? We've had this conversation before. I think I'm getting a real sense of deja vu because I I know the next thing I said was like then the bears came home and ate her. Yeah, uh, probably no. But in this case, they came home and they had spaghetti. Yes, a capellini is spaghetti also, with Goldilocks sauce. It's a form of spaghetti in that sure. it is cylindrical. It's solid. It is very thin spaghetti, thinner yeah. than spaghettini, like almost like the hair of an angel. That's right. Spaghetti apparently used to be like very long. Like the noodles used <laughs> now to be. I've got that Sarah McLaughlin song stuck in my head. Don't I don't even want to know okay. which one. I don't want to know which okay. one. Yeah. Okay. Spaghetti apparently used to be like very long, and it, it, it it's now, when you say very. I don't long, know. Like miles. <laughs> is there like is there a Guinness- when you were carrying it into the house? Like you had to be careful, <laughs> like turn the corners that's really where, carefully. That's where shotgun and- flats came from. It's so people could get their spaghetti into into the house. I don't know what you're talking about. Okay. Oh yes, no a railroad flat. railroad flats. There Same we thing. go. Yeah. Today, it's most commonly available in 10 to 12 inch lengths. Okay, but but measure to be careful. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> uh, okay, is there anything else we need to say about the history? Oh, I do have something else to oh, say please. about the history. So, so the popularity of spaghetti really like took off in Italy after uh, like the the 19th century is when they well when they started calling it spaghetti. Apparently, it was like 1888 or something. And before that, it was spaghetti, before- right? <laughs> Spaghetti, but anyway, spaghetti. What if it turns out this is true? I don't think. I think we'll have to like end the show. I think we will too, because our bullshit detectors exactly. are totally off. So factories were set up in the 19th century to make. Would you describe these as old spaghetti factories? <laughs> okay. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so in the U.S., spaghetti started being offered in restaurants around the end of the 1800s. Okay. And it was typically like a dish called spaghetti italienne. So this was this was during a time that like you know if you had a had a restaurant like the menu had to be kind of French like you had to put some French on the menu to seem fancy whether or not it was a French restaurant. You're asking me this like I know. I I, I feel like that would be the explanation for why it was called spaghetti italienne. Have we ever done like a, a show on like the history of menus? No, I once went to a, a like a history of New York menus exhibit at the New York Public Library. Oh, so I'm very qualified. Perfect. Yeah, we should do that. Well, so spaghetti italienne uh, was probably like wildly overcooked noodles with a mild tomato sauce that was likely flavored with whatever spices and vegetables were commonly in kitchens at that time, which probably would have been like cloves, bay leaf, and garlic. I don't like the idea of cloves I in know, there. I know, I uh, know. It was not until decades later that spaghetti was typically prepared with oregano or basil. Oh, uh, the other day, ACOTS D, adult child of the show December, asked me it, whether whether the word clove, uh, like the spice, and cloven, like cloven hoof, mm. come from the same, uh, the same root. And I, as Mr. Etymology, Googled this, and the answer is no. Okay, mm-hmm. well, that's that's illuminating. So, you know, obviously we most often encounter spaghetti as a dried pasta, but it can be made and sold fresh. Mm-hmm. I don't know why anybody would do this. It seems like a pasta that naturally wants to be a dried pasta. 
Why kind of, have you asked it? Yes. I mean, well, I feel like you're attributing a like lot of a, a lot I, of uh, will. I don't know. No, to that's this. not true. Like, because I can think of thinner, fresh noodles that are good. But it seems it seems like like Italian style pasta. Like once it gets that thin, like yeah. it's going to get clumpy if it's fresh. I agree. I mean, which is kind of what's remarkable about tayarin, the the typically Piedmontese pasta, yeah. which is it's like as thin, thin as angel yeah. hair, and that is okay. No, I'm wrong. That's fresh. But I, I mean, I think it's extruded. I don't know. Is Tyrene extruded? I don't know either. This is not our Tyrene episode. Yeah, I, I would have guessed it's not, but we'll do, yeah, we'll do an episode on that. It's good stuff. Okay. This episode is brought to you by Masterclass. Masterclass is the website that takes you from that thing you've always wanted to learn to learning that thing. Well, and you can learn it from the person who's literally the best at it in the world. Oh, come on. Really the best in the world? Yeah. Like, remember I watched those videos with uh, with Steph Curry on, like, you know, how to have proper, like, basketball shooting form and That's stuff. That's right. You And you have been sinking so many threes <laughs> since then. It's ridiculous. I just can't stop. Um, okay. Well, I took a class with Hans Zimmer, film composer. Maybe you've heard <laughs> of movies such as The Lion King. Mm. Maybe you've heard of Gladiator. Yep. The Dark Knight. Dune. He did all of those. I loved And Dune. now he's teaching me how to do it. Like the art of making Has people feel to things. To, to teach me? Yeah. Yeah, because, because I've got a master class subscription. Oh, okay. All right. Well, you know, Matthew, I also hear that if you want to take a class, say, from like Alice Waters or Thomas Keller or even like Yotam Orolenghi, you yeah. can get essentially what are like private lessons. Now, granted, they're they're... They're on Masterclass. Yes. But private lessons he from did, Right. Odalenghi doesn't come to your house, That's but right. virtually he does. That's right. So Masterclass makes all of this possible, and you get unlimited access to the very world's best teachers. And you will get 15% off an annual membership right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Masterclass.com slash spilledmilk15. Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta. Dried spaghetti uh, is almost always made in factories, mass production, using extruders. Basically, what that means, if you've never like thought about it or watched a YouTube video of it, is mm-hmm. that basically pasta dough is forced through uh, tiny openings in either like a uh, like a perforated plate or what's called a die. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the case of spaghetti, these would be small circular openings. Uh, one would assume so. Yeah. Yes. The extruded pasta is then cut to a specific length, commonly ten to 12 inches these days. And here's what I hadn't thought about. Apparently, you know, they have to be really careful to manage the extruded and cut spaghetti noodles as they dry so that they don't stick together. Sure. And so there are... What do they do? Well, there are like full-on spaghetti dehydrators, basically. I mean, I saw a picture of one on on Wikipedia, but I, I didn't read a lot about it. Other than to learn that not only does it have to be carefully managed so that the strength don't stick together, but they also want it to not lose so much moisture that it becomes very brittle. And well, it also it needs to shipping. stay like like you know rail like straight as a rail. Mm-hmm. That's not an expression. Straight as an arrow. It had never occurred because you to don't me, want like a curvy spaghetti. No, you might want a fusilli, but that's a totally different thing. It had never occurred to me that you know that a lot of the mass production of pasta would also be having the proper mechanisms for drying it. When you were a kid, did you have the Play-Doh extruder thing where you like push oh, on the level lever. The hair. Yeah. 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 Uh, but it, it, like there was the hair, but then also like there was like a star shaped one and other stuff. Oh, you're right. And there yeah. was, I think there was a heart shaped one. Yeah. What oh, a yeah. great toy. God, I would love to play with that now. I bet. I bet they still make it. 
you know, Matthew, we should we should start a uh, like a whisk whisk list. We should start a whisk <laughs> a whisk list, a list uh, of things we whisk of, of things that we wish for. Like, remember how I wanted a dishwasher, but nobody came forth and gave uh, me a dishwasher. I mean, you, you did end up getting a, an induction burner. Right? I did. Oh my god! And I've used that induction burner yeah. quite a fair amount. So I think I think you could probably get yourself a Play-Doh extruder if that's where you're going Fine. with this. Or, no, no, wait. I'll write it down because 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 uh, your birthday's coming up in like nine months. <laughs> you're right. It is <laughs> okay. Okay, so uh, so no, not writing it down. I don't think I have anything else to say, like research-wise. Okay. So we should talk about like how how we like to cook and eat spaghetti, right? Number and, one, actually. Yeah, I, number I one. I do have something I want to say that I didn't even put on the agenda. You know how when you buy a large stock pot, it often comes with a pasta basket inside? Yes, which I threw away. Yeah. Does anybody keep and use those things? I bet some people must or they wouldn't keep putting them in there, but sure. it doesn't work very well. Yeah. I, I don't think I've ever used the one that came. I have like a 12 quart stock pot that came yeah. with it. And I think I might have even gotten rid of it. Yeah, yeah, no, I have an eight-quart stock pot that came with one of those, and I got rid of it many years ago and have been boiling pasta in the pot just fine ever since. What about specific pasta, like, utensils? Like, oh, okay. The thing I'm that's glad like you brought a, this up. There's a thing that's like a very deep spoon that has – what do you, that, that is called a, a spaghetti – what is it called? That is called a spaghetti A spaghetti picker-upper. And it's like a spoon, but the edges have, like – Fingers. Yeah, it's got like it's like a, a spoon with a bunch of fingers coming out of the edge. Now, do you use that for spaghetti? All the time. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. I've never had one. So, like particularly the Salerno spaghetti recipe that I mentioned, like really needs to be very well tossed with the with the parmigiano and olive oil and stuff. Wait, do you use this to toss it? Yeah. Oh, because whenever I have so uh, cacio e pepe needs to be tossed mm-hmm. really well. I use two forks, and yeah, that it, it makes a too. horrible sound. You, like, but this this Oxo Good Grips. We're not sponsored by them this week, but like this this Oxo Good Grips spaghetti picker upper works really well for that. What about special spaghetti tongs, which look like tongs, but they've got these fingers on like one side of it? Never used that. I've never used those either. It might it might be fine. I don't have any specific pasta cooking utensils. I use regular tongs. Or if I'm using an extruded like pasta shape, I will use uh, a spider. Yeah, for for no particular reason. I think this would work. Also, when I make pod thai, I use regular tongs to kind of, kind of keep it moving as mm-hmm. the sauce is reducing. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Hmm. Okay, okay, Matthew, what do you do with spaghetti? Okay, so the major spaghetti things we do around here are Salerno spaghetti and spaghetti carbonara. I also am a big fan of spaghetti alla matriciana mm-hmm. and spaghetti alla gricia. And I feel like there was some episode where we talked about like those three Roman sauces. I used to understand. And the differences between them. Like alla gricia is almost like amatriciana minus tomato. tomato. Yep. Okay. And carbonara is with eggs. Okay. Okay. So other otherwise they're very closely related. Okay. Didn't somebody a long time ago, like some prominent food writer, didn't they write like, wasn't there a piece that went way deep on Amatriciana or something like that? Probably. I would I would like to read that. I feel like there was a like time it. when I, I knew a lot about Amatriciana and thought of it as like something that you would go on a quest for. Um, okay. I'm going to guess it was maybe, well, I'm sure, I'm sure Waverly Root in The Food of Italy talks about it. I also wonder if Bill Buford Bill Buford might have gone deep on it. Or something. In, uh, like, I think um, Lynn Rosetto Casper may have like two recipes for it in the Italian country table, mm. like different approaches. It's, it's one of my favorite dishes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's spectacular. Yeah. So like like pancetta or guanciale, tomato, garlic, mm-hmm. spaghetti, sometimes onions. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and then alla gricia, does it have a lot of black pepper or something? Or I think, I I think so, else? but it's, it's, it's really simple. It's like, it's like uh, basically spaghetti with a sauce of like olive oil and a bunch of cured pork. And do you always use spaghetti for these dishes? Like, do you, no. do you always keep spaghetti around yeah. as opposed to like linguine or around. fettuccine? Yeah, I don't use dried linguine or fettuccine that much. And I, I don't either. Yeah, like spaghetti is a really good noodle and it works really well in those dishes. I do sometimes make, uh, use bucatini. I am a bucatini fan. I know some people hate it because it's so thick. 
but like I like it thick. Yeah, no, I like it too. I, I like, like the chew of bucatini thick. too. Yeah. I always have spaghetti in the house. Yeah. Always. It is, I would say, the only pasta that I always have in the house. Yeah, and the spaghetti I have around is 10 to 12 inches long. <laughs> Great. I'm glad you measured it. Yeah. And then I always have some sort of extruded shape, you know, the shorter pasta. But spaghetti is so, I, I do feel like now that I'm thinking about it, it, it is foundational to so many of the named pasta dishes that we think yeah. of. Carbonara. Oh, spaghetti and Meatballs. We haven't. We have not said the phrase spaghetti and meatballs yet on the spaghetti no, episode. No. Like you introduced me to what I think of as the ultimate spaghetti and meatballs recipe, which is the Cafe Lago meatball. Yeah. 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 Oh my God, that meatball. So I wrote about it in Bon Appetit uh, years and years ago. We will link to it. Um, it's a recipe I learned from a man named Jordi Villadas, who was at that yes. time the chef and co-owner of Cafe Lago. Uh, Cafe Lago is today owned by Carla Leonardi, and mm-hmm. it is as delicious as ever. You can still get the meatballs there, but we'll link to it in the show notes. You know, I think I used to make spaghetti and meatballs a lot more. The truth is, I don't love eating them together. Interesting. I, I, I love can't eating them together. figure out how to eat them together. Like, you cut up the meatballs, but then it's like, why are they meatballs? Why are they meatballs indeed? <laughs> I think well, we're gonna, I think we're gonna need to get like Mr. Mr. Meatball philosophy well, on the I, show. So and I, now now our retainer cost is doubled. I love a meatball, but I I'm realizing as I think about this that uh, in the last five to ten years, what I think I've been doing a lot of is taking whatever sausage or ground meat we have around and kind of starting with that. I do that a lot. And too. then it's adding really good. like tomato. I often add some cream. Definitely onion is in there. A little bit of oregano. Oh yeah, I do. I do exactly the same wine. thing. And like, I will make that sometimes like for lunch for myself on a work day. Like if mm-hmm. I have like a leftover Italian sausage link, that's what I'm going to do. But like, there's something so celebratory and special about a big meatball. That's true. How do you toss your spaghetti and meatballs? Because you can't really toss pasta well when there are big chunks of meatball in there. Scoop some sauce out of the out of the saucy meatballs and toss that with the pasta, and then then spoon a couple of saucy meatballs on top. How do you feel about? So I noticed on Wikipedia there were a lot of pictures of spaghetti, Mm -hmm. and of course one of them was like you know spaghetti with like tomato sauce. It was just a bowl of plain spaghetti with a bloop of tomato sauce on top. Absolutely I, I not. Cannot, no, I cannot you abide. To, you have to toss the, the sauce with the pasta. I can't stand that. I don't understand why people do that. No, because, yeah. Like, That's a terrible idea. We don't idea. Need, to get in, need to get into what happens if you don't. It's too terrible to talk about. It is. I, I don't, I don't, I got to think of something else. Yeah. Okay, let's think about other spaghettis. I would, um, yeah, I would rather, like, play Marco Polo in a swimming pool full of hot tomato sauce. Hey, I in would fact, like I to. I do want to do that. You know what, Matthew? I, I want to let you know that the world record for the largest bowl of spaghetti was set when a Buca di Beppo in Garden Grove, California, filled a swimming pool okay, with um, more than three, thir- excuse me, 13,000 pounds of it. This surprises me not at all. How would you feel about swimming in a swimming pool of, of spaghetti? I feel like it would be dangerous. I feel like I would like jump in there like, oh, look at me, I'm swimming in spaghetti. And then I would drown. And like, <laughs> it would be one of those things where like I died and then people laugh at me, which is exactly what I'm trying to avoid. I fell down some stairs at our Airbnb the other day day like uh-huh. I was wearing I don't know what the deal was I was wearing socks that and, was your first mistake and the steps were carpeted and I got to the second like the second to last step <laughs> wiped out and then the best part Matthew or the worst part is I did it again the same day and hit my head on a wall <laughs> wow are you are you okay I am okay but you better believe I did not go up and down the steps in that Airbnb with socks on ever again. Do you remember, like, I'm just going to recycle this funny thing I saw that I know I already mentioned on the show, but, like, I saw some magazine near the checkout stand uh, at the store uh, that had the teaser headline, reduce your sick risk by 82%, just grab grab some socks. Do you remember me (laughs) mentioning this? There were so many things that I liked. First of all, that it's completely ridiculous, Uh that it it said literally like 82%, like they calculated, and Uh then the the phrase sick Sick risk, risk. and then that you just have to grab some socks, you don't even need to put them on. You don't have to put them on. Nope. (laughs) Okay, but anyway, back to, like, uh, let's talk about 
other spaghetti dishes. For instance, yeah. in the States, often we talk about like spag bowl or spaghetti bolognese. We don't say spag bowl in the States. That's a that's a UK thing. Well, that's thing. a UK thing. In Italy, it would never be spaghetti that would right. be served be, with bolognese. It would be, uh, would it be like, tagliatelle? Yeah. That's the word I was Is looking that it? for. Okay. Yeah. No, wait a minute. Is that right? Yeah. I mean, it's not, that's not the only thing you can bolognese, but it's less likely to be spaghetti. Yeah. Okay. What else do people do with spaghetti, Matthew? Um, let's see. So uh, puttanesca, of course. Alio olio. Um, my dad's favorite, spaghetti alla vongole. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. With, with clams, usually clams in the shell. Mm-hmm. Uh, cacio e pepe. Of course. You know, I had the funniest experience when I was typing that up because... I only think of that dish as cacio e pepe. I never think about what the intended noodle is. I just yeah, use spaghetti. That's a good point. But it is spaghetti cacio e pepe is what's conventional. Yeah. And like because spaghetti is such a good noodle and is kind of a default noodle, it has traveled the world and like made its way into lots of cuisines that are not Italian or North American. That's right. In fact, I think that there was a lot that I once knew about the relationship between the U.S. and the Philippines. Sure. That I had forgotten that researching spaghetti taught me, for instance, so during the period of time, I think it was about 70 years when the Philippines was a U.S. colony. It was very interesting researching that because it was very difficult to find any place that would actually say the word colony. Oh, sure. When that is what it was. Yeah. So um, I think it was from the late 1800s until 1946. Mm -hmm. So uh, the Philippines was a U.S. colony. And during that time, spaghetti, uh, you know, made its way into Filipino cuisine through American influence. Mm -hmm. And it was uh, right away sort of tweaked to Filipino tastes. Um, It's it's sweeter. They traditionally serve uh, spaghetti, uh, Filipino spaghetti. Spaghetti involves a tomato sauce that's sweetened with either banana ketchup or sugar. Sure. And it usually includes ground meat, sliced hot dogs, and cheese. It sounds phenomenal. Yeah, it sounds great. I am here for it. It reminds um, me of uh, of like the Korean uh, like army stew that's made with with like no- noodles and spam and American cheese. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Spaghetti is eaten uh, widely in the Philippines. Okay. In Thailand, they make uh, like very popular spaghetti pod ki mao. Mm-hmm. So like a stir fried noodle dish, but made with spaghetti. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also learned that in Johor, Malaysia, that spaghetti is a main part of their regional laksa, the laksa Johor. Sure. And guess what? You're going to be shocked. I'm going to talk about spaghetti in Japan. Of course. Here so, we go. Spaghetti is very popular in Japan and like pasta dishes in general. Pasta is, is hugely pop- popular. And that means both like, you know, Italian style pasta dishes, but also a lot of fusion pasta dishes. And so the most popular spaghetti dish by far in Japan, and like one of the most popular dishes, period, is napolitan, as in Neapolitan, mm-hmm. made with uh, a sauce of ketchup, onion, mushrooms, green pepper and bacon and served with uh, with a bottle of Tabasco sauce. Because this contains ketchup, I fear it and I've never tried it, but it is a very much beloved dish. Mm, And I would love to try it. It's something you would get in like a like a Western style cafe or like a family restaurant Mm -hmm. in Japan. The second most popular Japanese spaghetti dish, I think, is uh, mentaiko spaghetti, which I have had. That's made with butter, uh, mentaiko, which is spicy preserved cod roe and like uh, nori uh, seaweed shreds on top. Really good. What is the word for for um, or like Western? Western dishes. Yoshoku. So okay. just, which just means like Western food, but it but it refers to Western dishes that have been kind of reinvented through a Japanese lens. Okay. Uh, and is is a fascinating and deep and delicious part of Japanese cuisine. I'm just fascinated that there's a whole word for it. Like that there yeah. that there's enough of a like cuisine there that there's oh, a whole word for it. There very much is. Okay. Okay. So so then I was like, okay, so so Japanese Western fusion pasta dishes are called wa pasta or wafu pasta. Wafu is like Japanese style. Mm-hmm. So there are multiple restaurant chains that specialize in, in this sort of thing. And I feel, felt like when I was looking at the menu of one of them, it absolutely encapsulated for me, like, what is so 
otherworldly incredible about eating in Japan because I've never been to this place, but I'm going to. So there's a a big chain called Yomenya Goemon. Yomenya just means like House of Western Noodles. So I looked at what is there, what are their some of their seasonal specials right now? Okay, you ready for this? I'm ready. Spaghetti with red pepper flakes, scallions, Hiroshima oysters, and scallops. Wow. Spaghetti with shoyu butter, Iberico pork, winter vegetables, and a poached egg. Holy shit! Spaghetti in cream soup with red snow crab, shrimp, yubo, which is uh, tofu skin, and grated turnip. Like, don't these all sound fantastic? Yes. All of these dishes are under ten dollars. This is a like a casual chain restaurant. Wow. You are just giggling with glee. <laughs> yeah. Um, and we'll link to the, the Kikoman Soy Sauce website has a huge array of, uh, of wa pasta recipes on their, on their website, and we will link to that. Great. Okay. Wow. That was our spaghetti episode. Yeah, we did it. We did it. We what, finally did it. What's what's our next How episode? How was it for you, Matthew? It was great. It was really like, good. It was good. Yeah. I'm, I'm really like satisfied, like deep down. Yeah, me too. I feel like I received like 10 to 12 inches of spaghetti. Um, All right. Do we have any segments such as a spilled mail? We do. I would be happy to read our spilled mail. Please do. This one comes from listener Margaret, who is not me. Okay. My my legal name is Margaret. Oh, thanks. But, but this is listener Margaret. Hi, Molly and Matthew. I'm listening to your Nutella episode and was very distressed during your breakdown of the word Nutella because I couldn't figure out if I had been pronouncing it Nutella or Nutella. It sounds like during our breakdown, Margaret was having, was having her own breakdown. breakdown. Imagine my absolute mortification when I realized that I hadn't been pronouncing it either way and instead had been skipping over the differentiating part entirely by simply saying Nutella. <laughs> Love that. Um, Uh, My question is, are there any words you realized, perhaps embarrassingly late in life, that you'd been mispronouncing? For example, I thought hors d'oeuvres was pronounced whores divorce (laughs) until recently. I'm not particularly proud to admit any of this to you. I'm just hoping I'm not alone. Love the show. Margaret. Okay, so first of all, I don't think anybody has ever like understood how hors d'oeuvre is pronounced if they're not French. Like the first twelve times they see it, I whore's divorce. Yeah, is I mean, clear. certainly, I think I think there's a common experience. I had both heard the word and read the word and thought they were two totally different things. Uh huh. Yeah. Uh huh. I've got a good one. Okay. There is a passage in my first book in which I reference a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. Okay. And this, I think it's in the first chapter, because the first chapter, when I was promoting a homemade life, the first chapter was what I would read on book tour. Okay, well, I had pretty much completed my book tour. Oh, boy. Here we go. By the time I had my event at Brookline Booksmith or something mm-hmm. like that in, in Brookline, Massachusetts. And my Where sister, my sister-in-law, Susan, came up to me afterward <laughs> and she pointed out <laughs> that I had been saying Rorschach wrong. Guys, guys, Matthew and listeners, I had said this wrong in front of hundreds of people. What were you saying? I was saying Rorsach. (laughs) (laughs) And and, I mean, I'd written an entire book that used this word and had never known how to properly pronounce it. And I still, every time I see it, I want to say Rorsach. Yeah, no, that makes sense. But it's Rorschach. Yeah. Oh, my God. Mortifying. Okay, so I have I have an example that's like sort of a cop out, but I think I thought it was really funny. And like now I'm kind of unsure every time I say the word. So I am a huge fan of the of the English rock band, The Clientele. Uh, I've seen them play live a couple times. Great live band. Can't recommend them more highly. They're just kind of like subdued indie rock of the kind you imagine I would listen to. Mm -hmm. And we recently watched their live performance on uh, KEXP, a a great Seattle indie radio station uh, that does all kinds of, of, has artists in like every week doing incredible in-studio performances. And they do an interview portion. And so so the host, Cheryl Waters, was asking uh, Alistair McLean of the band, uh, like, you know, about, uh, about the history of the band and what they've been working on recently and we were all shocked when he said the name of the band and the way he says it is the clientele oh 
Oh, okay. Is that a Britishism? I assume it must be. I have not attempted to like try and look this up, but I just assume so. And so now, like when I say the name of the band, it would be a French pronunciation, right? Yeah. So now, when I say the name of the band, I try and remember to say the clientele. If I ever had to say that word outside the context of the band, and I can't imagine why I would. Yeah. I'm not sure what's going to come out of my mouth. Oh my gosh, this is such a. It's funny because. It is, I think, um, a particularly mortifying experience yeah. to discover you've been pronouncing something wrong for a very long time. Yeah, but um, but a human experience. A very human experience. We've all we've all done it. Everyone is doing it, and and we did too. And we did too. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, Matthew, do you have a now? But wow, <laughs> were you were you referencing the Cranberries album? Yes. I okay. Was. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do have a now, but wow. I just watched a terrific video on YouTube by friend of the show, Pai Lin, uh, who of Hot Thai Kitchen, uh, who has been on the show twice, three times. We, we got to get I her can't back even on. keep track. Um, she did a Thai restaurant dish tier list video where the the gist of the video is if you're going into a new Thai American, like North American or outside of Thailand Thai restaurant, what should you order that is most likely to be good and what should you avoid because it's most likely to be bad, just not knowing anything about the restaurant? And then, you know, arrange those into a tier list from like D tier at the bottom to S tier at the top. Pylin is so much fun and like had such a great time doing this and like, you know, had some real hot takes about what, uh, you know, North American Thai restaurants get right and wrong. And I just uh, love the whole thing. So we will link to it in the show notes. Fantastic. Uh, our producer is Abby Circatella. Um, Molly has a newsletter called I've Got a Feeling, and you can get it at mollyweisenberg.substack.com. I encourage you to do so. Oh, thanks. You know, uh, it, it is about to celebrate its second anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Yeah, I started it in February of 2022. So I think that there are like 80-something posts up there, maybe? So if you, if you subscribe, you get all the old ones, Yeah, right? you get all the old ones. That's right. Yep. Matthew, you make music. You have two bands that you're a part of. One is called Twilight Diners. The other is called Early to the Airport. And I happen to know that you've been working on some new stuff. I've been working on some new stuff. I'm hoping it'll be out this spring. We'll see how it goes. Cool. You can rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And you can uh, you can hang out uh, with uh, with the other hors d'oeuvres who listen to Spilled Milk at everythingspilledmilk.reddit.com. That's right. Thank you for listening to Spilled Milk. Um, the show that's Mm, tell I'm telling you. <laughs> I'm Molly Weisenberg. And I'm Thew Amster Burton. <laughs> That's so pretty cool. much the coolest thing your restaurant can have or or food shop can have is to be a palindrome. Yeah. Like, um, I agree. For, for I can't example, think of anything better. Uh, uh, stew nods, donuts. <laughs> Why pick one city, one beach, one restaurant, or even one view? With Celebrity Cruises, you can have it all. Explore the best of Europe, the Caribbean, and Alaska with the best premium cruise line. And now get 75% off your second guest, plus bonus savings on select dates with Celebrity Cruises' semi-annual sale. Visit Celebrity.com, call 1-800-CELEBRITY, or contact your travel advisor. Offer applies to non-refundable fares and select sailing. Savings vary by stateroom category. Other terms apply. Visit Celebrity.com for details. Ships Registry Malta.